KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Homegrown's alright with me. Homegrown is the way it should be. Homegrown is a good thing. Plant that bell and let it ring. Saldon, KRCL's Punk Rock Farmer, and this is the... Friday edition of Radioactive Punk Rock Farmer Friday. Laura Jones in the studio with me, as always. Hey, Thank hey. you. How's your garden growing, Aldine? It's growing pretty good. I've been eating stuff out of it. I know. You post all <laughs> over the place, your Instagram, your Facebook, and I'm like, you never invite st- me over. Uh, I'm ready to start stuffing some zucchinis. Ooh. and I picked some purslane. I'm going to make some uh, a chili verde kind of thing out of that. It's a called Verdulagas, and it's a... Mexican specialty. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. I'm having some problems with my tomatoes, so I'm hoping one of our guests this evening can help. I'm just getting a few little yellow leaves, and I'm like, is that too much water? Not enough water? Could be Looking, water. I don't know. Could It's not curling on you, curling no, up on you. it's not curling. Okay, just we'll, a few crispies. We'll talk about it. Okay, so coming up you have? Uh, coming up, um, Jana Francis is with us, and she's the Urban Farm Report later on in the show. She's the gardening utah podcast and radio show and i met her a while back over at the uh urban pepper project uh plant sale in the spring <laughs> and uh we made a pact that she's on my show and i go on her oh have you gone on there yet and, uh, it's gonna, it to... might be this week oh you have to let us know <laughs> that's awesome i love the uh the gardening community we all support each other just like KRCL, right? Yeah, for sure. And we've got Peter Donegan, our favorite Irish horticulturalist. A conversation we zoomed with him. Yep, he's he's uh, he just uh, dedicated the second peace garden that he's done here in France, over yeah. in France, and um, we. It's always great to talk to him and check in with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he we've grown to be really good buddies over the years. Absolutely, and I think you know we should go take KRCL on the road to Ireland. I just think that's how it should be. Uh, yeah. Te- you know, Temple Bar <laughs> and Peter Donegan, that's what we're mm-hmm. going to do. Okay, also we got Skywatcher Leo T coming up with a classic episode. He's kind of taken a couple of weeks off and has found some stuff that matches the night sky, and uh, we're going to play that classic episode from you for you. Shell Yeah is in the studio from Rock Camp SLC, a camper showcase coming up. We'll tell you all about it. Plus, Be Kind to Canav, a new campaign to remind folks that uh, we all know we love the outdoors. you got to love the folks in the community as well when you go down there, and we'll find out why that is important in Kane County. But let's get started with some homegrown music. What do you say? Always. Um, we have John Bean and the eye rollers, but he just has <laughs> one eye roller with him today jeff kilpatrick is with him and uh they're here live in the studio with us and they have a gig a little bit later that's right they're gonna cram and jam and run over and play at the handlebar later so uh how are you guys doing great 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 to be here i'm so glad i'm glad to have you guys um tell me a little bit uh when what are you gonna play first and uh what have you guys been up to well we started this band earlier this year after the great plague and uh i promised you when i after you know i promised you the last time i was here which was a couple of years ago that i was i was that i was going to develop something and this is what i've come up with yeah (laughs) very good and so we are a three-piece uh we have two guitars and a drum and i alternate between bass and and guitar um 
And so, yeah, we're hitting the scene, and we launched it from that one show a couple years ago here on Radioactive, and now we're up and running again. Good stuff. You know, um, Brian Workman is your missing member, yes, correct? Yes, he is our drummer, and we've deployed him over there at our other <laughs> Setting station. Setting up his there. kit so you guys can just run over there and Absolutely hit plug down, in. right? <laughs> this and is... Ready? Yeah. Yeah. So this song is uh, the song's called "Summertime." I thought that would be appropriate for our show today. Very good. John Bean and the Eye Roller, fresh and homegrown, right here on KRCL ninety point nine FM. Summertime and the living is easy. Catfish are jumping, and cotton is high. Your daddy's rich, your mother good looking. Hush, little baby, don't you cry. up singing You're gonna spread your wings Take to the sky Your daddy's rich Your mother good looking of a Skywatcher Leo T episode from July of last year. Enjoy. Skywatcher Leo T here. Look up, look around, get a little bit lost in space. This Justin from the Associated Press. Astronomers have witnessed a black hole swallowing the most dense object in the universe. Neutron star. That's right, folks. A neutron star swallowed by a black hole. In a split-second gulp, 
Then 10 days later, they saw it happen again on the other side of the universe, according to this article from the AP. In both cases, a neutron star, a teaspoon of which would weigh a billion tons, orbits ever closer to that ultimate point of no return, a black hole. Finally, they crash together and the neutron star is gone. Astronomers were able to see the last 500 orbits before these neutron stars were swallowed. All of this took less than a minute and briefly generated as much energy as all the visible light in the observable universe. What? Really? Let's read that again. When the neutron star was swallowed by the black hole, it generated as much energy as all the visible light in the observable universe. Wow, that is quite a statement. While astronomers have seen gravitational waves from two black holes colliding with each other and two neutron stars colliding with each other, this is the first time they have seen one of each crashing into each other and bringing the Skywatcher spaceship much closer to the friendly confines of our solar system. We have a tale of Mars. On Mars, if you're thirsty, just drill down a mile or so, at least on the South Polar region. Researchers analyzing radar data gathered by Europe's Mars Express spacecraft have discovered more evidence for several subsurface lakes about a mile underground, one 12 miles wide, and three more about six miles wide. And in low Earth orbit, the president of, of China called the crew of China's Shenzhou 12 mission to congratulate the crew inside the Tengong core module of the Chinese Space Agency's brand new space station. China has a president? I thought they were a communist nation with a chairman and all that. Hmm. Well, congratulations to the Chinese space program after successfully docking at the module in low Earth orbit on June 17th. I wonder if the other nations of the International Space Station forgot to ask them to join up when they put up the ISS. And let's do a little space exploration of our own. Get out into the red rocks or the mountains with the breeze near a lake in the pines. Or in your backyard, looking up near the north, find the Big Dipper wheeling around the North Star. As you follow the handle of the Dipper around, you can follow the curve in Arc to Arcturus, the beautiful orange supergiant hanging there. Arcturus is the brightest star in the constellation Bautes the Herdsman. The star is also known in Skylore as the Bear Guard. Also, the group of stars is known as the Kite, which you can find in the Skywatcher site. A nice chart there. Then spike down to Spica on the way down. Don't forget to look at Zubin el Ganubi. Zubin el Ganubi sits midway between cool blue Spica and the beautiful glowing orb of Antares in the constellation Scorpius. Take a look at those sky charts on the Skywatcher site. On Skywatcher Leo T, it's one culture, many skies. On the ancient Chinese sky charts, there is more than one dipper in the sky. The second one is located far from the North Pole in the southern constellation of Sagittarius, which is full of twinkling deep space objects. They say that this dipper plays chess with the dipper in the north, the outcome of the game being a matter of life and death. And the cultural lore has said that the southern dipper is responsible for birth and the northern dipper for death. So keep searching for your own answers and looking up, look around, and get a little lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T. Ah, oh, Skywatcher Leo T. Thank you so much for what you do for Punk Rock Farmer Friday. Aldine, have you been looking at the night sky while you're out there gardening at all? I try to get up there and look at the sky yeah. all the time. There yeah. we go. All right, so still to come, we've got Be Kind to Canab. We've got uh, Peter Donegan. We've got the Urban Farm Report. But right now, we have Shell Yeah <laughs> from Rock Camp SLC. How you doing, Shell? I'm pretty good. Talk. It's good to be here on this side of the mic. Oh, thanks for <laughs> joining us. This is summer camp number two. Oh, yep. 
So let's remind folks what Rock Camp is all about. It's about being loud. Absolutely. Taking up space, you know, uh, building each other up and not tearing each other down. It's really an empowerment camp, but it happens over the course of a week. And so we're going to start on Monday and kids are assigned an instrument. They form a band and then they start writing a, well, they learn that instrument and they start writing a song together. And then on Saturday, July 16th, that is our showcase. So that's where... You know, we asked the community to step up because, I mean, so much hard work has gone into a camp, whether you're a director or a volunteer or a camper. It's a lot of work. And uh, we we really want to just see, you know, a big packed audience cheering these kids on because it's really a beautiful thing. And we're at this uh, at the Union Event Center this time. Just next door to us here at KRCL. I got a bit of a band called Bible Study that you sent me from one of your rock camps and their song thought topic in the background yeah so we're talking these kids this is the first time they meet each other al is on uh, monday it's a whirlwind process i mean how how crazy is that learn an instrument learn a song play do a performance in a few days oh yeah wow and there's also like empowering workshops that happen as well you know and uh this is actually one of our teen intern bands and uh thought topic bible wait. study i love wait, i love that line though if 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 uh if gender, if my, oh, we just missed it. So It'll good. come around again. Uh, if if clothing is gender, my gender is angry. You know, oh, I like yeah. That. And yeah. you know, they talk a lot about a lot of important issues. And uh, you know, I keep my laws off my body. You know, they they these kids are using this opportunity to share their voice and really like. Sing the song that matters to them. Pretty What's punk in their rock. Heart? It yeah. is. Pretty this punk one, rock. This one's Creature Features and Wipe Out the Human Race. We just had uh, Fridays for Future on last night. Oh, nice. And they've got their Ecotopian School Day happening tomorrow. But it's occupying a lot of their their time, their yeah. their, their mind. What's going to happen? Yeah. This is this is a bunch of vegans, and uh, this song's about uh, um, animal testing, you know. And so this song is written from the perspective of the animal that's being tested on. I think we're gonna hear that. I love the hook in this song, it's really good. (laughs) Wipe out the human race. Yeah, heavy stuff. That's a lot. revenge rock. Yeah, you're not going to see anything like uh, this, what you see at one of these showcases. It's really just pure magic. And these kids met, chose an instrument, put together in bands. They're going to come up with a name. They're going to come up with a, a t-shirt. Yeah. And they're going to rock out again Saturday the yes. 16th. 16th at 2 p.m., doors at 1 p.m. at the Union Event Center right next door to KRCL. Mm-hmm. And we really, I mean, this is... There's there's so much happening in this world, and we all feel a lot of stuff. But I can't even imagine what these kids are feeling, you know. Yeah. And uh, this is this is their their healing time, you know. Yeah. And so this is something I I mean this will heal heal you too. This is the medicine we all need because yeah. these kids tell it like it is. And they lay it all out there, and it's amazing. A lot of them stay together and keep they playing. Do, yes. And uh, a lot of them come back to camp the year later and choose a different instrument, you know. It's just such an empowering space for kids who are normally told to, uh, you know, to be quiet, sit down, sit you know, sit in the corner. Grown-ups are talking. Yeah, and, uh, and we're 
We're just play all the instruments. Play them all. Yeah. You know, do whatever you want. Take up space. Be loud. All right. So this is all coming up on Saturday the 16th. But Rock Camp is a year-round endeavor to keep it going. How yes. can folks help? Well, absolutely. This actually is a fundraiser, this uh, showcase, and you can go to krcl.org, or not krcl.org, rockcampslc.org <laughs> forward slash donate. Uh, figure out the ways that you can contribute or, uh, you know, if you want to sponsor camp, we love that too. We've got a lot of great sponsors like Project Rainbow and KRCL is one of our sponsors. Um, but we... We absolutely, in this moment, we want to see you show up uh, and, and cheer these kids on because we've done a lot of hard work and uh, these kids are going to put a lot of hard work into their songs and we'd really love to see you there. It's a big space. We'd love to fill it. And Rock Camp runs on volunteers. Absolutely. Folks that teach the kids how to play the instruments, mm -hmm. how to, you know, uh, organize your band, market your band, uh, the coaching and then the sound and everything. In fact, you, you've been talking for a while about adding maybe a track where kids who want to be around music but don't necessarily want to play an instrument might be able to do the sound. And yeah. Stuff. But rock Camp is growing is what I'm getting at. Absolutely. We've had some workshops that uh, uh, evolve around running sound. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about maybe teaming up with Spy Hop. And, you know, we love that, the collaboration. They're a great uh, institution. And, uh, you know, just whatever you can... The more tools you can give kids to empower themselves, and the better. express themselves. Yes, absolutely. All right, so again, the basics on the Rock Camper Showcase. July 16th, next Saturday, at doors open at 1, show starts at 2, sharp, and uh, it's all ages. Everyone's welcome. $5 suggested donation, but if you can't, you can't afford that, come and just scream loud. That's all we ask. Uh, the upstairs will be open for adults <laughs> if they want to go in the 21 and older section and there will be a bar open. Oh, interesting. But uh, we do have snacks available as well. <laughs> so All please, right. Yeah. Website. RockCampSLC.org. Shell, yeah. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Pleasure. All right. Now, Be Kind to Canab is this new campaign going on to remind folks to mind your manners when you're in Kane County. Let's find out more and pass that microphone. I'm Camille Johnson-Taylor. I'm the Director of Tourism in Kane County, Utah. Camille, ever since COVID, more and more Utahns are staying close to home, getting out into national parks, going hiking and biking and uh, camping throughout the state. What's going on in Kanab? I hear that you've got this Be Kind to Kanab program, which maybe indicates that people aren't being so kind. <laughs> I know it is kind of funny. We had when we first posted it, um, some locals were like, wait, what? Be kind. Who's being mean? So the whole thing behind it is just really addressing um, visitor behaviors. We had such a huge influx during the pandemic. I don't know if you know this statistic, but when I heard it, it actually was like, okay, we're going to get flooded. But um, Tourism Economics, an Oxford economics company, said in 2019, we exported 19 million more domestic travelers abroad than what came in. And so I realized that, oh my gosh, when we close down international travel, we're gonna have so many domestic people coming to our area because of course they're gonna to wanna to escape the city and the restrictions and crowds. So we got hit pretty hard. And what we realized is a lot of those um, domestic travelers were new to the outdoors and they just needed a little bit of help understanding how to outdoors and how to canab. You know, we're just trying to protect who we are and the landscape around us. Yeah, so a lot of folks think it's like going to Disneyland and that ain't it, right? <laughs> You're right, that ain't it. We don't want it to be it anyway. We really wanna protect the experience in the outdoors and 
And it is a, a challenging area. We're in wide open spaces, rural and remote. And so when you leave the small communities in King County, you're really kind of on your own. There's not gas stations, there's not restrooms. And so you really have to plan ahead. You have to make sure you have a, a full tank of gas, that you have uh, physical maps, that you have food, that you have water, that you have a way to take care of human waste. So it takes a lot more planning and forethought, but hopefully as we're, we're talking about these, people will get a little more educated as to what they're about to experience and, and come in a little bit more prepared. So let's talk about these people and what they're doing to your people, in particular hospitality workers. What were you hearing from folks in restaurants and hotels and campgrounds? Yeah, you know, I, I realize um, it was quite frustrating just because we are experiencing a staffing shortage. And I think the whole world seems to be experiencing that. That's not unique to our area. But it's challenging when you come in and you want to have dinner and you have to wait, you know, 45 minutes, maybe an hour. Um, and so those who were coming to work, which we super duper appreciate them showing up to work and taking care of things, they were just getting kind of beat up by the patrons and they were so frustrated. And of course, you're hangry. We're all a little bit edgy when we're hangry. So, you know, have a little snack before you go to dinner. Uh, be prepared. Maybe um, stay kind of nuclear and shop at the nearby retail shops while you're waiting for your table, engage with other people, put down your phone and talk to other customers and make it a, a point of connection. I understand there's some vandalism that's been increasing as a result of the influx of people to Kane County. What's happened? Yeah, there's, I think we're especially sensitive where it occurs on um, ancient Native American sites, the petroglyphs and the, um, the ancient sites there where they're vandalizing those, etching in the rocks, um, painting on them. I, I have to trust that people just don't know what they don't know. Um, you know, we're a little bit barbarians at the end of the day as humans. We want to immortalize our initials and our name and rocks and trees. But when you think about the number of people visiting in areas, that quickly becomes a problem. And we want to respect those ancient sites in particular, but everywhere in general. Well, we want to help spread the word about how to be kind to Kanab which is magically unspoiled, according to your website. Where can folks read more about how to do the outdoors in Kanab and how the people are family, the landscape is home, and the experience is really, it's up to us when we come there to plan and uh, make sure the experience goes well. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a site, BeKindToKanab.com. You can find some content there. And then for trip planning purposes, you can go to VisitSouthernUtah.com. And I think really just be prepared to have an amazing experience. Our locals really are the coolest, most welcoming people, and we want them to stay that way. So if you're, if you're nice to them, you'll have a wonderful experience and you'll learn a lot about the area and some cool places to go see that are local secrets. All right. Now, you know, I should have started with this. From Salt Lake to Kanab, how long does it take and what do you recommend when I hit down? <laughs> I have to laugh at that question because probably the normal person, it's under five hours, but my kids always make fun of my bathroom break habits. And so I take my time. I plan on five hours, but come to Kanab and plan on staying at least two nights. If you're just staying one night, you don't really have that connective experience. Stay a couple nights, eat at our incredible restaurants. Um, one of the top restaurants in the state of Utah is here in Kanab, Sago for fine dining. Who would have thought? But we have some great restaurants and nothing complements your day in the outdoors better than having an incredible meal. Um, Zion, Zion National Park is closed, Bryce Canyon, Grand Canyon North Rim, Lake Powell, 
but there's so many other assets that are a little bit closer to town that you can hike and there's lots of hidden gems. So Slot Canyon's for sure. When you come to Kanab, you got to hit a Slot Canyon. And um, we have probably more guides per capita than any other area in the state of Utah. So I'd recommend hooking up with one of our local guides and it just makes your experience that much greater. And you also have lots of great tips on how to do the alternative wave. So the wave, you got to get this lottery going to get your spot there. Um, it's beautiful formation uh, of rocks that looks like waves, but you've got some alternatives down around there, right? Absolutely. So it's kind of a fun thing to like, okay, each day you try for the wave if that you're here and it is a two day lead time the way they have it now. It went online for the daily lottery March 15th. So say you apply on Thursday for a permit on Saturday. It's a geofenced application. So you have to be in the Kane County area to apply for it. Then you find out that night if you won and if you did, you accept it. And then you show up in the morning to get your permit and get the safety orientation. And then the next day you would hike it. But if you don't win, there you haven't lost. There's so many other cool things to do. Um, one of those things that people do as an alternate is White Pocket, also in Vermilion Cliffs or the Buckskin Gulch Slot Canyon. Those are two really great assets also close to the wave that you can do instead of. But you also got the Waweep Hoodoos nearby. Oh, you know what? That's probably my favorite place. <laughs> It's a longer hike. That's like, you got to be a little bit more of an intrepid hiker to do that. I think it's nine miles round trip, but it is otherworldly and incredible and definitely worth the miles. Camille Taylor from Kane County, folks. Mind your manners when you're down there in Kanab, <laughs> Aldine. All right, let's get into our conversation with Peter Donegan, horticulturalist in Ireland and a great peace garden. Uh, we reached him via Zoom and we, we started actually... Kind of talking about the weather. It's been so hot here, and yeah. we asked him what it's like in Ireland, but he hasn't been home a lot. Here's here's our conversation, Aldine. Peter Donegan. I, I haven't seen a whole lot of Ireland of of recent, but I think uh, you know me this well at this stage of the game, and there's always something sort of uh, cooking around the world anyway related to gardens. But um, I think I've seen home for... Uh, three days in about the last four and a half weeks so it's it's nice to be back i i need to uh get out and about and say hello to people but you know i'm probably at my happiest when i'm speaking with plants or, or working with them in some form or other so peter chateau de peron is inaugurated it's in folks can visit it now yeah we we had a long we we had a really long journey on on this one, longer than any other garden that I've ever been involved in 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 my twenty one years under my own name. Uh, it's two years approximately in the making. Uh, it's worth remembering for your listeners. We we designed the first garden, and realised that within probably I'd say six months total, and that was in the dried up moat. It was thirty foot below street level. So you, your first view of it is from above, and that was a, a garden of peace to commemorate the centenary of the First World War. So we were very soft in, in how we did it. We were very uh, eloquent in, in how we relayed the message. And, and by default, I was uh, representing Ireland. I was one of 14 uh, designers, garden designers selected globally to design at historic places around the world. And on day of recording here today, funnily enough, 
it's the uh, the anniversary of the Battle of the Somme, which was one of the bloodiest battles that ever took place. And the castle is in that specific region. To put that in context, on the first day of the Battle of the Somme, July the 1st, 19,240 people died. And you 300,000 dead just in that war alone. It was about a million casualties in total. And the First World War, you had about 4 million dead, and you had about 10 million casualties. Uh, so like when we leave, which is literally a couple of days ago, we're to put in context, you have to be really, really delicate in, in how you uh, conduct yourself, if I may, or what becomes the final end result. This garden, uh, I should add, we, we named it uh, Jardin Philippersine, and Philippersine is the Greek goddess of uh, welcome. So it's the, the garden that you see at the entrance when you go to, to pay your entrance fee into what is Europe's largest war museum housed within the castle. The previous one is the join between the castle and the town. So if you went with a, a family, and, and as well you know me, I'm one of eight children, uh, I have three sisters with red hair. They, they fry ultimately in the, the warm sun that, that northern France has to give. And we gave it scent and we gave it shade. And we, we asked, unlike a, a quintessentially British garden, if I may, where, where plants are for viewing, uh, they're not. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. So in this one, in the Peace Garden, we asked the, the, the restaurants to take the flowers. We asked the public and the children to take the fruits so they could make jams and preserves and, uh, and make conversations about where they got these plants from and why they were allowed to take them. To this newer garden, it was about giving it a, a sort of a new lease of life because the, the architecture is obviously 13th century. Uh, medieval walls still exist there, but equally within that, you've got a full-size panzer tank. And the backdrop is that of a, an architect by the name of Henry Siriani. Uh, but it's it's sort of, um, it's grim in a sense, but it's fitting because it's large, old concrete walls. So it sort of brings it into the, the start of the world, 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 First World War, if I may. My apologies, I got tongue-tied there. Um, and, and that becomes the backdrop. So that allowed us a little bit of... Uh, license maybe to bring in something a little bit more modern or newer but again I'll say to be respectful to our surroundings and, and the town um, I think that's part one and then the second part obviously is when we, we inaugurated the second garden it was 2019 November we went straight into lockdown and we were still in design phase so we were okay we were working away on that doing our research and, and again making sure we got it right so this is the biggest thing to hit what is ultimately, ultimately a small town, quite like where I live in Ballybottle, very rural, uh, not a whole lot going on there, bar the castle, and, and what an occasion and, and a big day. And yeah, there's certainly something to be proud of to be asked back twice. I obviously didn't get it wrong the first time, if I, if I may word a little bit of my, my dad's colloquialisms. Let's explain a little bit because we're on the radio. Obviously, what this is yeah. a courtyard, and it's deep inside the middle. It, and there's, there's a you can even get up on the top level of it and look down in, and there's like a grassy area above. And this is all built on top of the castle. It's pretty crazy. 
It's it's crazy. Yeah, and and again, to explain to your listeners, the first thing we did when we built the first garden was we blocked off the town to an extent. Obviously, again, very uh, eloquent, uh, eloquently done. But we were allowed to bring in machinery to to drop large trees down into the thirty foot below street level. That was number one. Uh, castles are obviously designed to keep people out, or at least defence castles are. And uh, the access into this one was through about a 17, 20 meter long, what I can only describe as a sort of a gothic archway. So the only way around it when we were looking at this design was to bring three cranes in, one to crane a crane onto the roof of the castle, then crane a second one on, and then crane the second crane down into the courtyard. But that didn't make sense because we'd obviously done uh, or there was work done on the roof. So we uh, ended up going back to the drawing board and we redesigned everything to make it look like um, it was not brought through this height restricted, width restricted. It's about two metres wide and maybe about 2.5 metres tall. So me with my arm up in the air and we've got this these giant-sized, massive mammoth planters that are, if I may, uh, ridiculously sized window boxes, sort of like a 50-foot tall minion, if that makes any sort of sense to you. But we wanted to make it look like it had already existed. And so the trickery came in in what the end result became. But but I sort of like the... Again, I'll give you one of my dad's jokes. You know, Elvis never wore that white suit, Brian and Egg. You know, but he just walks on stage and there's a sort of bit of a, a showmanship to it. And then there's a curiosity in how they, they get it done or how we made it happen. And um, yeah, ridiculous. When you consider that nine months ago, uh, the place was filled with kango hammers and, and rock breakers and everything was up in the air and we didn't know how it was all going to come around and come back together. I say we didn't, of course I did. I'm, I'm superbly intelligent and handsome. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the Zoom delay, Peter. So there's also a World War I uh, herbarium featuring medicinal plants, right? Yeah, and we, we, we worked very closely with um, uh, Hervé Francois, the director of the castle, uh, Guillaume Duplot, who's the president there, Stephanie Hasoulier, or Stéphane, my apologies, Hasoulier, who's the, the president of the, the council departmental. Uh, Hervé, Natalie and their team in particular were huge in that because I think ultimately we can design what we believe is the right thing to put in but you cannot fall on a stage of that level where you take Europe's largest war museum, again, a 13th century castle, and you get it even remotely wrong. So we were sort of of the opinion that, that plants, certain plants could be used, and then we'd go to them and we'd sort of have to fact check it because whilst our belief was that these plants around that time could be used medicinally, their whole thing was, well, hold on a second, in the middle of a war, you can't walk into a quintessentially beautiful uh, Palace of Versailles-esque looking garden and, and find that readily available just walking along the roadside. And then it became sort of seasonality as well. So if you're talking things like rose hips and making rose hip syrup uh, for your listeners, 
rose hips would have about 40 times more vitamin C than say an orange. Uh, and so it was particularly good for colds and, and wee things like that. Uh, but, but ultimately I think that became the herbarium so that they could, um, I won't say educate because that's a sort of a strong word, but when you bring people in to children or people of horticulture and you're speaking to them about these plants, you're sort of going around the back way into explaining what it would have been like around that time rather than uh, the first world war in your face where you're looking at guns and tanks and you're, you're reading numbers about people who have died. <coughs> Excuse me. So in that context, it was hugely important that we held hands together. I think the other side of it, Lara, was that we uh, put a lot of emphasis on uh, plants that were, shall I, regimented would be an appropriate word, but in the the more eloquent, delicate part of the garden where it's, say, a floral, if I might, uh, we put a lot of emphasis on on plants of scent. So we've we've two of them around that time that that Lutyens would have used. Edwin Lutyens would have designed Teepfile Memorial. Uh, he would have designed the War Memorial Gardens, coincidentally in Dublin, and also the private gardens on on Lambay Island off the coast of Dublin. Uh, and Lutyens would have used scent but also would have used places of, of, of wind. So when you get draft coming through, two of them are lavender and Santalina. And lavender and Santalina, one is a pungent lavender and one is a sweet lavender, as we would know it. When you get to two, it's like having sweet and sour at the same time, but for the nose. Um, Saracocca humilis is another one, and Dendlinissera, which would have grown wild in the hedgerows. And you get this sort of, a, again, this, it's really hard to explain sent to somebody who's never tasted it before because you can't say it's like sucking a lemon and then having salt and then maybe having a, a you know a drink or a canapé or something afterwards it's really really odd but it's it's also amazing when you see people walk past one of the most boring looking plants on the planet and all of a sudden they're stopping to see where this has come from and when we get talking about that part of it you start to realize when we're speaking to the students about it once you turn around and say it's like i don't know whether this makes sense to to some of your listeners but i remember smelling my uh, granddad's jacket some like years after he had passed and all of a sudden there's there's uh you know you can see what he was wearing where he was sitting everything flashes back and when you have difficulties of the mind or uh, when you're of a, a, a more mature age, I hope I'm, I'm being eloquent in how I word this, these things um, uh, matter because it brings, uh, it brings memory and it brings emotion and this is ultimately what we're trying to create but again when you take a stand back it just looks like a beautiful garden that would woo you in. Peter Donegan, sweet and sour lavender, that, that, that sense that he has of bringing the aromatics and how that was processing in the garden now. I'm yeah. really pleased that he got that second garden off. Very good stuff. <clears throat> Let's get back to music here. We're going to go quick on this one. This one, uh, you guys ready? Yeah. Very good. You guys yeah. are playing at the Handlebar later on this, this evening. We'll talk to you a little bit more before the end of the show at the last song, but this one is called Vodka Whiskey Chaser. This is John Bean and the Eye Rollers, fresh and homegrown on KRCL 90.9 FM.
Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru, a community partner of YWCA Utah and the Stand Against Racism Challenge. Mark Miller Subaru loves diversity. Learn more at ywcautah.org and markmillersubaru.com. Welcome back to Radioactive Punk Rock Farmer Friday. I'm Laura Jones. Al Dine, time for the Urban Farm Report. Yes, Jenna Francis is with us from Gardening Utah. And um, she does a podcast and a radio show. We kind of were in the same boat. We met at the Urban Pepper Project farm, um, plant sale earlier this spring. And we kind of made a pact to be on each other's show. I'm glad you're here with us. Thank you. You know, my voice isn't quite like Peter Donegan's, but uh, <laughs> maybe sometimes it is after a couple of vodka whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, for sure. Jenna, tell me a little bit how your gardening background and, and then about how you got involved with the podcast thing. Yeah, so I've just always been pretty obsessed with gardening. I mean, I grew up when we would, you know, go and work on my grandma's garden in Murray on the weekends. And so... It was really both of my grandmothers that really kind of started the gardening bug in me. And as soon as I had my own little piece of land, I would milk even the tiniest little square and plant like radishes and arugula and anything that could be quick growing. And uh, yeah, so I've just always been really into it. I love to grow my own food. Um, I really feel like uh, there's nothing better than putting something fresh on your plate every single day. And that's my goal. Every single day, even if it's in the winter, try to put something on the family's plate that grew in our own backyard. And so that's always kind of been my passion. And uh, yeah, just I've always wanted to start a podcast about ra- about gardening. And I just kind of got about three years ago, it was like, you know, let's just give it a shot and see if anybody listens. And yeah, so that was about three years ago, and it's going well. F- you're so enthusiastic. Uh, fun stuff. I'm, you know, mine goes back to generations, too. It came through the family, and through the grandfathers and then my dad and that kind of thing. We lived on a farm in the country in the old days. You you're, you don't have just a small plot, though. You told me you have an acre and a half. <laughs> I Where do you get a plot, plot like that in the city? I know. Well, it kind of was an accident in a way. So I bought two half acres next to each other in Murray and kind of built our home there. But it also backs up against the Jordan River. So there's another half acre of sovereign land that I get to use as well. But you get So you, it's a little bonus That's right there. That's right. Do you get any water from the river? I don't. You don't. It's kind of a dream, though. It is, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, we live in the desert. And, uh, you yeah. know, that's one of the things that makes Utah so specific. And we were... T- the gardening aspect of it, and we were talking a little bit about that, and your show focuses around that. You have folks that are growing here, and you're giving out information that is 
site-specific, regional-specific. Absolutely. We really try to focus on bringing in experts around the state of Utah to really spread the message that, you know, the, the expertise that they have with a couple focuses. One of my big hot buttons, not only planting, you know, food to grow in our own backyard, but is water conservation. And obviously that's becoming more and more important. And this year it's just such a hot button. So we really try to focus a lot of our episodes to give Utahns some reasonable ways that everyone, all of us as a team can conserve water. And so I'll have like Cynthia B on the show from Localscapes. She was on last week. That's right. <laughs> on our show. She's so amazing. So we think about the same thing. We think along the same lines. We made a pact that you come on my show, I'm on your show. Maybe I'll be on your show this weekend. Ne- yes, next weekend. Look um, it up. Very good. And so, um, I mean, some of the things that are happening right now, I know you planted a bunch of different kinds of garlic. I did. Tell me about that. Okay, so last last um, October, I planted a whole bunch of different varieties. I have over 120 bulbs, and they actually, I've got to harvest them tonight, so I'm going home to harvest tonight. You better get busy, right? I know. <laughs> I know. I love to plant garlic. I think it's, it's something, actually, that's a really easy thing for you to try out and start with. It really is. It's a set it and forget it kind of thing, isn't it? It is. You plant it in the winter and then in the spring it starts to come up and it's already going. You don't need to you don't need to mess with it too much. It kind of does its thing. It really does. And it's such a satisfying harvest because it's one of those, you know, everything tastes better when it's coming from your backyard, but there's something about garlic that's fr- fresh. It's a little snappier, it's a little crunchier, and it has such a more robust flavor. You kind of have to be careful with it to be honest uh-huh. with you. But I just can't imagine how much more healthy it is. But it's something that you can grow that you'll use all the time. And that's what I think a a great thing to get out there and tell people, you know, grow something you like. Grow something that you love. Grow something you're going to eat. Last year I asked myself, what do I eat that I didn't plant recently? I haven't planted onions, and my kids love potatoes. I have a big potato patch this year. I have some onions going. I think you have to ask yourself that question every year. And then some of those things store really well, and you can eat them all year round You can, if you have a nice, cool storage place. Absolutely. If you cure your garlic properly, you can save it up until April or March of next Talk year. Talk about that little process right there, curing garlic properly. I want to hear it. Okay, so once you dig up your garlic, you're going to want to wait. It sounds strange, but you wait 30 minutes. And after that 30 minutes, you look at the actual leaves themselves and you want to take out the very lowest green leaf. You just literally pull it down over the bulb of the plant. That automatically kind of cleans it as good as possible. If the roots are really dirty or muddy, which in Utah probably not, but you can cut them down a little bit. But the goal is to leave as much skin on as possible. You actually want three layers of skin around that garlic. And then you're going to want to put it somewhere, probably for me, I put it in my garage. You do not want to lay it out in the sun, uh, but you do want it to get a lot of ventilation and be around 70, 75 degrees and let it sit for about two weeks. A good two weeks, right? And you, you kind of uh, move the stem a little bit to see if it's, it's pliable any still. And exactly. when it's not and when it crunches a little bit, maybe it's close to ready. That's right. Exactly. And you know what? I have a little tip for the beards. I call them the beards, the roots that hang down. Oh, yes. You cut the roots off. You cut the little beards off. And you deep fry them. What? And you crunch them on the top of salad. I think you just changed my life. (laughs) (laughs) This is something, uh, I mean, that is a really, uh, 
That's a feather in my cap that I know that one. I love doing it. It's amazing. I'm going to think of you every time I do. You'd save your beards. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's like crispy noodles, right? Oh, it's like the garlic crispy crunchies. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Good stuff. And and, um, what else? Let's talk about... um, my, I started eating zucchini. Oh. You're almost there. Almost. You, in a few more days, you, you have little fruits. That means they grow exponentially in, in a few days, yes. right? And you'll, so you'll be eating them soon. Yeah, next but, Saturday I'll be dropping them off my neighbor's porch. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that it comes along with squ- squash bugs, but I haven't really had too much. I'm, I'm going to thank the man upstairs that I haven't had trouble with these little guys. Squash bugs. Oh, bugs. so lucky! Tell me. Oh, they're the they're the devil's bug. I, they really are. <laughs> you got to be really careful if you are growing squash. You're going to want to look for a couple things. The easiest way to find out if you have squash bugs is to get some water at the base of that plant, and then you just wait. And all of a sudden, if you have them, you will see these creepy crawlies. They're kind of gray brownish, brownish black, and they're coming up at you. They come up, then they go up the plant, right? Yes. Correctly. And then if you're, I know my leaves get droopy in in the in the heat of the day, yes. but if they're droopy all the time. You really want to look underneath. That's right. You got to really inspect the leaves underneath. You're going to want to look for the little clusters of like 12 to 20 eggs, super close together. They're kind of like golden. Little golden brown balls. Yes. Tiny little balls. Exactly. Tips I've heard that you can put some duct tape on around your hand and you can duct tape them off. Yep. You can do that. And and people squash the squash bugs, too. When they see them, they squash them. I think that's why they're called squash bugs. You squash <laughs> them off the squash, right? <laughs> How about a, a, a way you cook some zucchini? I mean, people think, oh, squash, it doesn't taste like too much or, you know, this or that. Oh. I grow... Uh, Costata Romanesca. It's the, <gasps> it's the Italian version, and it's got some ribs on it, and it has some really nice sweet flavor to it. Yes. I mean, I do stuff and stuff them and stuff like that, and I always put it with eggs. Do you have any tips on cooking some oh, squash? Yes. So one of my favorite things, I mean, it's pretty standard, just slicing them into discs and sauteing them with some fresh garlic, olive oil, and I like to do a thin onion in there as well. Uh-huh. That's the best side dish in the world. It, you know? it, it really is simple. Sometimes the, the simplest things, when if it comes from your garden, you don't have to muck it up too much and put too much spice or too much th- on it. And, you know, you get these gourmet dishes and these gourmet chefs and stuff, but I'd rather cook out of my garden and taste something that the the heart the way the flavor of the plant and, and the fruit is itself. There's nothing better. Uh, there, there really is nothing better. You know, the only tip I have for the one you said, a little, you go with garlic, you go with a little cracked red pepper makes it uh, is an Italian, another mm. little Italian thing. Speaking my language. We cook, we cook, um charred that way we cook any of the sauteed vegetables a little cracked red pepper olive oil and garlic mm, you don't need too much else that's right right. that's right what's coming up on your show or who are some of the the really cool guests that you've had well next weekend we have the punk rock farmer (laughs) (laughs) oh come on (laughs) you know i believe episode 49 we had lance walheim on the show and he is actually the gentleman that was uh wrote most of the western garden uh uh 
you know, garden books that are kind of on everybody's coffee tables. The coffee table The book. Sunset Western Garden Books. Uh-huh. He's a main editor um, and contributor to those books. And he was on my show, uh, yeah, I believe it was episode 49. And it was really fun to talk to him about the importance of trees. You know, the, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, uh, right? Uh-huh. And it was really about how uh, planting diversity around us can help us with water conservation and energy costs because it's shading us it's giving us space from that hot hot sun that's driving us all crazy right now trees you know that's a big uh, um a permaculture kind of a thing too where you know it's going on for generations it's going to always be shading your yard you know yes something to think about and plan long-term stuff yeah and it gives all of the you know just so many different diversity you know bringing just an ecosystem to our own yard so you're bringing folks from like big gardening names from not just around here but you you pull from yeah you pull from wherever yeah mostly it's mostly people in the state of utah but i do try to find if they do have an expertise that can enhance our mission i do and the other big element of my show is i really try to focus on highlighting local garden centers and bringing in experts that own nurseries and grow a lot of the plant material here in the state of Utah Uh because I feel like we as a community really need to support our local garden centers as much as possible because they're the experts that know the types of plants that truly grow and the way to water them and they give you that advice and experience um, and, and you know advice as you're there at the point of purchase if we if we don't support them then we're going to leave our or literally our ecosystem to the big box stores, and we can't have that happen. No, we can't have that happen. Uh, you know, eating local and growing it in your backyard. I get excited about this stuff. I think everybody, we were talking, everybody should throw out some seeds. Even in the spring when it's cool, you throw out some lettuce seeds. You're, it's going to grow. Yeah. Uh, you water it just a little bit, and boy, you're going to have some food you're going to eat. And maybe that starts a little spark, and then you keep going. And you're kind of like a homesteader like I am. I'm yeah. trying to grow as much food that I can that I love the kind of things that I love and I make some simple dishes and I'm not a chef I don't call myself a chef I say I'm a cook Um, but you know how how much more fulfillment can you get you really can't there's nothing better I mean it's it's power it's it's feels powerful to be able to feed yourself and your family from your backyard So, Jana, where can people hear your show? How can they catch up with your podcast? Okay, so you can find my podcast on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Amazon Music. Just look up Gardening Utah, and anywhere you listen to your podcast, you'll find it. Well, we will be sure to put a link in the show notes tonight. And please come back towards harvest season. Yes, we're going to have you back, (laughs) dear. I love it. I can't wait. All right, we're going back to 3B. Sullivan Petchenpang, our audio engineer. Thank you so much for helping out tonight. We've got John Bean in the eye roller. Heading over to meet the other roller at uh, at uh, the handlebar in Salt Lake City, Aldine. John, what are you going to play next? What's the What's the last song? Explain a little bit about where it came from. This song was written by the Guess Who, and it's oh. called Undone. Okay, awesome. And it's our take on it. I just thought it was a beautiful song and relevant to a personal struggle um, that person in the story had gone through I mean the person in the song had gone through but I think it's universal in that sense you know very good this is uh, John Bean and the Eye Rollers and this one is Undone Fresh and Homegrown right here on KRCL 90.9 FM She's come undone 
too far She's lost the sun She's come undone She didn't know what she was headed for And when she found what she was headed for It's too late She's come undone She found a mountain that was far too high She's come undone Too many mountains Not enough stairs to climb Too many churches Not enough truth Too many eyes to see Not enough lives Too far, she's lost the sun. She's come undone. She didn't know what she was headed for. And when I found what she was headed for, it's too late. She's come undone. She found a mountain that was far too high. KRCL 90.9 Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo.